Today I interviewed my friend Hillary Sloan, who's an incredible advocate for animal rescuing and the human behind the ultra-popular Instagram account, Ella Bean the Dog. Hillary has fostered countless dogs and rescued three darling dogs, starting with Ella Bean, followed by Coconut Bean, and most recently, Fifi Von Bean. Hillary and I talked through her story of finding and falling in love with Ella, Coconut, and Fifi, the challenges they've overcome together, and what it's like to adopt a dog. But most importantly, Hillary educates me on why Adopt Don't Shop is such an important movement and not just a cute hashtag, what we need to do better as a society to put an end to puppy meals, and even what best practices are if you're buying from a respectable breeder. I can't wait for you guys to learn from and be inspired by my friend Hillary and her furry little family. Okay, you guys, today I am so excited to do something that's a little bit different than any of the other episodes we've done before, but it's something that is really important, I think, to talk about and educate people about. And so I'm here with my friend Hillary, who I love and adore so much. I met her through ShopStyle, um, which is a company that I partner with on a lot of different things. So Hillary is going to tell us who she is, what she's about, and what her dogs are up to and what they're all about, because that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. I am, I've been such a fan of your content for so long, and I'm so grateful to my job that it allowed us the opportunity to not just become business partners, but friends. Um, it's just, it's it's so special to be able to work with people who you like genuinely love. And so thank you for having me. Well, I feel um, the my, same. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Hillary Sloan. Um, I lead influencer partnerships at ShopStyle. But when I am not working on influencer partnerships at ShopStyle, I am the human behind the uh, Instagram account Ella Bean the dog. I originally started the account because, uh, you know, a few years ago when we started to see the proliferation of influencers popping up across the internet, there were all these like in influencer Instagram, you know, tropes, if you will, like macaroons and latte art. And I just thought it would be really funny to replace the human influencer with a little fluffy dog. Yes. And that was like the original concept of the account. And it, it, it's become so much more than that, which we'll talk about, but it ended up changing my life in so many ways and hopefully changing other people's lives. I think it's done a lot more good than you would ever even recognize or realize. You'd probably be amazed if you knew how many lives you guys have touched. But yeah, I reached out to Hillary because I feel like a, there's so much like going on with people talking about like adopt don't shop that's kind of like one of the taglines and you know it's kind of not cool anymore to buy a puppy it's like there's a lot of there's just like a movement of people saying okay there's a way better way to do this and I will admit I'll be the first to admit that I don't know that much about this so I and Hillary really is the expert and she's such an advocate for rescuing and for helping these animals and even like fostering, which was I didn't know was a thing until I met you and we had some of these great conversations. So let's just start from the beginning. So sure. who um, was your first dog? So my first dog was Louie, who Louis recently was passed away. very first. And yeah, he was my first dog. I mean, he, not my first dog in my life, but my first dog as an adult where he was like my dog that I got. And, okay. and I actually come from a family of people who buy dogs and and. And that's, that's why I have a really, I think, unique view on this because I don't actually have a problem with the concept of purchasing a dog from a breeder. But what, what I grew up with was a family who went to like these amazing breeders who were deeply passionate about the dogs that they were raising. And these dogs were raised in the home and like 
everything you can think of when you think of the term good breeder, when the Humane Society talks about what makes a good breeder or, or a reputable breeder, that was what I grew up with. And I didn't actually know that there was anything different. And when I went to get Louis, um, it was the same thing that I had done my whole life. I went to like do research on the breeders that had the breed I was interested in that were relatively close to me. This is, you know, 13 years ago. So made like physical phone calls to people. Yes. Um, asking if they no had Instagram, no, like yeah, looking people's pictures this. up. <laughs> no puppy pictures. And, and started, you know, inquiring about who might have litters when. And, you know, the interesting thing about really good breeders is it, it's an interview for you as much as it is for them. And they are actually interviewing, interviewing you back. And Louis breeder had like a lifetime policy that if we ever couldn't keep him, that he should go back to her. Wow. Um, and then when she retired a few years ago, she actually emailed me and Louis was like nine at the time. She emailed me and said, just, you know, I'm retiring, but you know, my offer still stands and this is who your contact is. Should you ever need to you know, not have this dog. And is that unique? Cause that sounds kind of unique. I, I think that it's, I think that really, really amazing breeders are few and far between. And there's a lot of levels of amazing breeder. And I was really, really picky because of what I was raised with. And my parents were picky and my aunt and uncle were picky. And like, I, I think that was what I had expected. So to me, it's not weird, okay. but I understand that there are, are also good breeders who maybe wouldn't, you know, follow the dog for the entire life. Anyway, I had, I had never rescued an animal. I didn't know much about rescue in general. And I happened to find Ella. Um, it's a very long story. So to keep it short, I was living in Florida at the time. I lived there very briefly and I was doing a lot of freelance work and I ended up working on a project that took me into a shelter. And this is, would have been 2000. I've had her for 11 years. So in 2008, I was living in Miami and I lived there really briefly and I was doing a lot of freelance work. And I happened to have a project that ended up taking me into a shelter. And keep in mind in 2008, this was the height of the era of like the Tinkerbell Hilton dogs. Like this is when this kind of had exploded, this yes. concept of like these teeny tiny little dogs. And this was proliferating um, everywhere, but Miami was a hot spot for this. And I, I met Ella as part of a project where I was actually learning about commercial dog breeding and, and what this sort of thirst for these tiny little dogs was doing to the animals. Mm -hmm. And Ella was, Ella had been pulled out of commercial breeding situation and was sitting in the shelter waiting to be euthanized because she was so ill. And I saw her and I just knew we were meant to be. And I mean, I had no business getting a second dog at that time in my life. I think I was, you know, 20, early twenties. I was, I was really young and certainly couldn't support two dogs, but <laughs> we made it work. <laughs> um, and I just knew we were meant to be, and I didn't know anything about rescue at the time. She was my first introduction to rescue and it, it completely changed my life in so many ways. That's really, really cool. So yeah. I want to know, so you said you were at this event. What, like, did you have an interest in that? Was that something that just kind of randomly happened that it was like, hey, if you want to show up at this thing or how, where yeah. did your interest peak? Yeah. So I, after getting Louie, I just was like obsessed with all things dog. You know, I just, I threw myself into dog parenting, dog ownership, if you will, and was following everything that had to do with dogs in, in my local communities. Um, and there was at the time a magazine, I think it was called Florida Dog. There was like a local magazine that was a dog magazine. And I was doing some freelance work, taking pictures for them. 
I'd studied photography in college. And so I was just picking up work wherever I can get it, you know, and that was what led me there as I was trying to get content. I'd been gone there kind of on an assignment to get content for them. And it was, so it was, um, I like to call it an unplanned rescue, <laughs> unplanned adoption. <laughs> totally was not on my radar that I was going to walk out of there. Uh, I didn't walk out with her, but I walked out knowing that she would be mine and begging them to release her to me. And it was a period of approval and I had to come back the next day. And I remember I didn't sleep the whole night and I woke up the next morning and drove there early before they opened and was waiting outside because I, I just knew she was my dog. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. And I mean, obviously with all the good you guys have done together, it really was meant to be. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew it would change my life like this? Right. So tell me what that was like at first to have this rescue dog that was in your home and you're trying to love her and trying to figure out how to make her feel safe and happy. Yeah. I think one of the, the, the things that I was most surprised by, and, and again, this, I just want to clarify that this is actually not the case for all rescue dogs. There are so many rescue dogs that are like happy and well-adjusted and like just need a place to crash and, you know, find their forever home. I, I personally have chosen to take on the dogs that I've taken on in my life. And in Ella's case, I didn't know what I was doing. And that was probably for the best that I had no idea what I was signing up for. She was pretty skinny and malnourished and she was teeny tiny and she would get hypoglycemic. So I would like shoot little syringes of like sugar water in her mouth every couple hours, like keep her steady. And she wanted nothing to do with me. And I just, you know, as someone who'd grown up having dogs that came to me generally as puppies and I, you know, had them from the time they were 10, 12 weeks old, all the way through old age. Um, I'd never experienced this before where a dog wanted nothing to do with me. And I would find her like in the other room at night, she'd, she would leave the bedroom and like go into the other room into like the opposite corner and like be huddled in the corner, super fearful. She didn't, she didn't know about humans. She didn't know what we were about. She didn't, she didn't view us as a safe place or have any trust. And, and of course, why would she? So to back up where she came from, commercial dog breeding, and this is still a major, major issue. And this is the issue I'm most passionate about in terms of rescue. There are uh, about 10,000 puppy mills estimated to be active in the United States. And there's 194,000 dogs that are estimated to be kept solely for breeding in these kinds of facilities. And so, you know, every time you see a puppy in a pet store, or sold online, there's there's a dog in a cage that's kept behind the scenes there. That that's that's sort of the behind the scenes of, and the impact that you're having that you're contributing to this industry. And and that's why I'm so passionate about it because it's not an easy question. It's like you see this beautiful little puppy in a pet store and your heartstrings and you want to take and save that dog, but pouring money into this industry just keeps those the pet, the parents in this prison where the conditions are really cruel. They um, are in cages their entire lives. They don't get medical care. They don't trust humans because they don't really interact with humans. They're essentially breeding machines. It's, it's, they, they view these animals much the same way that they would view, you know, frankly, breeding animals for food. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. It's hard to even hear, but it's good to, I mean, it's important. Yeah. And I didn't know about any of this when I got Ella, but because of Ella, I started to learn more and ask questions because I understood, you know, from the project that I was there to, to photograph why I was there and where she came from. And through the process of talking to that shelter about um, bringing her home, I, start, I, I started to learn what a puppy mill was. 
And, and I didn't really think much about it. We just, you know, went on our way and that was the beginning and it was hard and she wanted nothing to do with me and she was really sick. And, you know, we kind of just like, I just <laughs> was so in my early twenties, like put everything on a credit card and was like, I'll worry about it later. <laughs> Cause it was just worth it to me to get her healthy. And it took, it took a few years before we really bonded actually, which is so interesting because now she's like literally my soulmate and I can't imagine not having the closeness that I have with her, but it took her a few years to really get interested in humans and dogs. And to put it in context, if you've lived in a cage your whole life, if you think about, you know, any animal, even including humans, there's all these developmental phases we go through um, as we go through, you know, infancy and toddlers and becoming an adult. And you know, there's all these key socialization phases for dogs. And if they miss them because they're caged, they just don't have those skills. So she just didn't simply, not only was she afraid, she simply lacked the context for which socialization existed. And I always kind of tried to keep that in mind when after a vet explained that to me when I was like, what's wrong with my dog? She doesn't love me. (laughs) Well, it probably takes a really, it takes probably someone too who has the patience to understand that this is going to be a long road and there are good things ahead if you stick with it. Because I think probably a lot of people in your position would just feel really defeated. I think, you know, it's funny. I think I did feel defeated. And I think that things, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think that had I not had Louie, who is like this effusive, just like ball of love, who like loved me too much and would never leave my side, I think it would have been harder for me. But because I, I did have a dog who was, you know, sort of giving me what I needed in terms of that, that kind of attention and energy and playfulness and affection, it didn't bother me as much. I kind of was just like, eh, she does her own thing, but like, she's my dog, you know, we're in it together. Right. I was just going to say, but for the more recent rescues that I've done in the past few years, which we'll, we'll talk about soon. Yes. I, I definitely went into it with a much different attitude and you have to just really know that you're in it for the long haul because, and, and you're doing it for a greater good. So Fast forward, and I was living in Washington, D.C., living and working in Washington, D.C., which is uh, where I'm from, and I had Louie and Ella with me, and Ella, Ella and I were getting closer. She was getting more comfortable, but she still, you know, really struggled with new people and other dogs, and she just wasn't comfortable outside of the home. It took a really long time, and actually, Ella really didn't start coming out of her shell until we moved to New York, and I think it was because when I moved to New York, I moved here with like a few suitcases and Ella and Louie stayed with my parents because I was staying in an apartment that wasn't dog friendly and Ella doesn't bark and she's so teeny tiny that she could just like fit in a bag. And so she was like the hidden secret dog. (laughs) And so we ended up with like eight months where it was really just the two of us. And that was, that was the turning point. And that's now nine years ago. So I think that all that time alone together just was a game changer. And I think, you know, she was just meant to be in New York. I think it just like, she, she came out of her shell, loved walking on the street, you know, strangers would stop and want to pet her. And she got really into it. She started getting this really bubbly personality that I had never seen before. I mean, I've seen her in like social situations where I think sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming, but do you feel like she's just at home in New York where it's like, she's walking down the street and she feels like, oh yeah, this is home. Yeah, I think she does. And I think that she now is a comfortable and confident enough dog that those kinds of situations don't face her. And I think that gradually as the social, as the Instagram platform grew and she got more and more followers and we ended up sort of being 
asked to attend more and more events where we were in really public, very big social settings, over time, it just became the new normal to her. We were actually just in Austin for South by Southwest. And I mean, she was rolling in and out of parties and like totally unfazed. Like she just wanted to say hi and get some snacks. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> and she's so cute and lovable. It's like yeah, hard to not super. just want to come right up to her and pet her yeah. and everything. Okay. So I really want to get into, because I remember you telling me all about coconut and we I think yeah. we went to breakfast and you were like, I've got to tell you this crazy story. So yeah. I don't want to take away from any of that. So tell me the story of, or tell everyone else here, the story of how that came about. And it was totally unplanned as well. Yeah, all right? of my dogs have been totally unplanned, <laughs> actually, except for Louie. I think that, you know, one thing that's really cool about rescue is you kind of have to like open yourself up to the the right dog will kind of show up at the right time. And it was really funny because I had known I wanted to get another dog. And it was sort of on my radar, but I had all of these criteria. I wanted it to be a female. I wanted it to be under five years old because I had two senior dogs already. Um, I wanted it to be under five pounds because I wanted it to be someone that like I could kind of bring around with me like I do with Ella. And that's a lot of criteria for rescue. Like, but the funny thing is, is it all just worked out. I ended up with this chihuahua who's actually, she's like three and a half pounds and she's adorable and she's friendly and she's social and loving. And that actually all came about through social media. You know, one of the fun things about social media, and I'm sure you can attest to this too, is people you meet through the internet end up becoming offline real life friends and support network. And one of my Instagram turned real life friends uh, is, is very involved in the chihuahua community specifically. And one of her followers messaged her about a dog that needed to be rehomed due to medical issues that the current home, current owner was not able to financially deal with the type of medical issues that this dog had. And my friend knew about all of my, like my long list of criteria that I had for a dog that I would want to bring in my home. And she's like, Hey, I found this dog. I don't know if this is you know, anything you'd be interested in, but you should check it out. And she sent me this photo and it wasn't like not a flattering photo. And I'm not particularly like into chihuahuas, but I just, again, kind of saw her and was like, yeah, that's my dog. And um, so we ended up connecting directly with the owner and we consider rehoming rescue because, you know, you're taking a dog who has needs that can't be met at, you know, the current home and yes. um, taking her on. And Coconut was actually purchased from a local pet store, which actually means that she came from a puppy mill. And the former owner gave us all of her paperwork and I, I handed it to my friends. I work closely with the Humane Society as part of their Stop Puppy Mills campaign with Humane Generation, which is their next generation philanthropic committee. And we focus on puppy mills. And I handed the my contact there, who's one of the, the most educated people on puppy mills that I know, her paperwork and he like showed me everything how to break it down and it turns out coconut was from one of the worst puppy mills uh humane society maintains a list called the Hor horrible hundred and you can google that and it will bring up that list of of puppy mills and coconut was actually from one of those wow so unfortunately you know aside from lack of socialization and just general abuse and neglect the other thing that happens in puppy mills is that they're breeding for profit. So they're breeding to have the tiniest dogs, the cutest dogs, and they're not interested in the health of the dog. So you get a lot of genetic issues that get passed down. And some of these are, you know, terrible life-threatening things. And some of these are in coke, like in coconut's case, fixable 
but a lot of work to fix. And in Coconut's case, she had, which is really common in Chihuahuas, but hers was particularly bad. She had knee issues that were so bad that her kneecap on one of her knee back knees was actually all the way out of her of its socket. And so she couldn't really use that leg at all. And then the other leg was mostly out of the socket. So she really couldn't use her back legs. And, and what was funny is she was so lopsided, like her butt was so teeny tiny and her front was like huge and massive and muscular because she was using her front to, to sustain all of her weight. And, you know, and t- talking about things that are just like meant to be, we bring this dog home. It's very clear. She's in a lot of pain. I connected with my friends at the Humane Society of the United States they connected me with the Humane Society of New York. And these are two actually very different groups. The, Uni- the Humane Society of the United States is a lobbying legislative awareness organization. The Humane Society of New York actually is a shelter and they have a, a vet clinic as part of what they do. And it turns out that at the Humane Society of New York, there's a visiting orthopedist who comes three or four times a year for like a week and a half at a time. And it happened to be like her second to last day the next day. And they were like, okay, well, if you come in at 7 a.m. tomorrow, she'll see you. And I'm like, done. We'll absolutely be there. And 7 a.m. I show up and they do x-rays and show me everything that's wrong with coconut. And she's like, I can get this surgery done today for you. And I'm like, I've just met this dog. I don't even know who this dog is. Like, we don't have a relationship, but okay. She, I think she'd been with us maybe a week or 10 days. So I hand this dog over to get pretty serious knee surgery. And... I starting to get like, oh gosh, like we've taken on, you know, another, like a pretty big financial burden here. And what was hilarious is, and Ella does have a manager for her business, the business <laughs> side of, of what we do. Her manager reached out that day with an opportunity that I'm not kidding you was the exact amount of the surgery. And in that moment, I was just like, this is my dog. This is meant to be. So meant to be. Yeah, we're here to do this together. And then when I came back to pick her up uh, from from surgery, and again, she didn't really know me. I didn't really know her, but she was like stretching from the nurse's arms to get to me, even though she was like all loopy and post-op. And so she had already, I think, found a safe place with us at that oh, point. I love that so much. I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, she's such a sweet But I did know about like the vet that was leaving and the surgery and the campaign that came in, all of those things. Like that's what we call tender mercies. Whatever you call it, it's it's undeniable that it was all meant to be. So yeah, truly. I mean, I would say all of my dogs, my rescues in particular, have come to me at the exact right time when I needed them to, and I didn't know what I needed, and that. I I try and always remember that and carry that with me, you know. That's so beautiful. Okay, so we so I want to talk a little bit about the bond between how how was that with the three dogs at that point? So when Coconut was in pain, Ella and Louie were pretty indifferent to to her. I think when an animal is in pain, it's just animal it's that's animal instinct is like you're they're not part of your pack. She was also new and And we fostered a handful of dogs before, and we also babysat a lot of our friends' dogs. So I think Louie and Ella were just like waiting for her to leave. I think they didn't understand. She was sticking around. But a few months after her first surgery, and we were doing physical therapy with her um, after the surgery, because I mean, as I mentioned, she was so unbalanced in her chest. It wasn't just the leg at that point that needed strengthening. It was her whole body was off base and needed to be worked on. So a few months after that first surgery, when she'd sort of gained strength, 
one day we're all laying in bed and all of a sudden coconut and Ella just start going after each other. And it was, it was tense, but they weren't hurting each other. And no and I were like, we're going to stay out of it. And they were clearly like, it was very clearly who was going to be alpha. It was like the first time they had kind of interacted in this way of who is going to be the alpha dog between them. And they were establishing themselves as pack mates. And that's what happens. You need to know who's, who's boss. Mm-hmm. And Noah and I, my husband, Noah and I were looking at each other like, who do we root for? Like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we let, we let them do their thing. We have video of it. It was intense. It went on for like 30, 40 minutes. And just when we thought, you know, coconut may have, you know, had the leg issues, but we're like, she's so much younger than Ella. And Ella like may have had, you know, not had age on her side, but man, she was not giving up. Like she was just, she was determined to win. And after a few times where Ella got coconut and pinned her down, coconut finally gave in. And after that was so funny, they've been best friends ever since. And they cuddled together every night and they go like, they both at 10 p.m. on the nose. If no one are sitting in the living room watching TV, they leave the living room and walk up the little doggy stairs and take themselves to bed. Wow. It, and they do it together. It's the funniest thing. That's so so they just are, are besties and it, it's so cute. Yeah. I didn't know that about them either. That's so fun. And I can totally picture like all of that going down where it's like, okay, who's boss here? And Yeah. And I'm really know. glad we stayed out of it because, I mean, we were watching to make sure it didn't escalate. You know, but I had, you know, I had also watched Ella and Louie play for years and I knew that Ella, I, could, I knew I could trust Ella. So I was really watching Coconut and Coconut is the nicest dog ever. So there was nothing happening that was really scary. It was just, you know, let's let this play out and see where it goes. And I'm so glad we did because they came away immediately and we're best friends. Animals are amazing because they don't carry any like resentment or rage. Like, I, I don't think they ever, or I should say, I know they never thought about it again. It was just like, okay, that's established, done. Check that off the list. (laughs) We have maybe something to learn from them with that. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about Fifi for a second. Fifi is our... Fifi is just... um, This has been... This has been our hardest rescue for a lot of reasons. I uh, had a terrible life-changing injury in January of 2018 that resulted in multiple, multiple surgeries in order to repair um, my arm. So I was mostly working from home because I was in so much pain and commuting was so difficult for me and I couldn't you know, pick up a laptop. Actually, almost a year ago now, uh, my husband and I saw this little dog on a, so, um, a rescue organization that we work with on their Instagram. and. I DM'd it to him and was like, we should, and they were looking for a foster and, and I'm like, we should foster. And I, I should tell you, like, I do this to Noah, like maybe 10 times a week, I'll send him a dog <laughs> and be like, we should foster. <laughs> and he almost never says yes. And for some reason he's like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, then I said to Noah, like, I have Broadway tickets tonight. So if you want to do this foster, if you're serious about this, you're going to have to go pick her up. And I expected that at that point, he'd be like, no, I'm out. He was like, yeah, I'll go get her. And so I came home from this Broadway show and there was this mangy, skinny, terrified animal. Noah had gotten her into the crate. You couldn't touch her. I mean, I've never, this was my third time rescuing and I had never experienced this level of, of trauma in an animal before. 
and it was, it was horrible. I mean, she was, when she wouldn't let us touch her, she was just skin and bones. She, um, at a healthy weight now is a little over six pounds. When we got her, she weighed in about three pounds to give you a sense of how starving, how, like how starved she was. It was, it was awful. Um, her hair was matted and clearly very tangled and there was no way you could brush her. She, I mean, she was aggressive. She would bite, she would fear bite. It's called fear aggression. And she was actually terrifying for such a tiny animal. And she's gotten me pretty hard a few times. She's drawn blood, like she's not messing around. She's really defending herself. And she had intentional looking cuts in her ears that looked like they were from a razor blade. I mean, it was, it was, the most extreme abuse that I have ever personally brought into my home. All of the other dogs we fostered have been relatively easy and good natured. And, you know, aside from a few accidents, it's been like easy going. Yeah. And she was also in a tremendous amount of pain. Um, we believe still t- at this point, we believe it was a, a neck injury, probably most likely from abuse or falling downstairs or something. Um, but she, she was howling in pain and it was just, it was really upsetting. And that was the hardest part at the beginning was just how upsetting it was. How did the um, other dogs deal with that too? So we kept her very separate. So okay. she, um, because of the neck injury, the vet had that the rescue organization worked with had put her on crate rest and it was strict. So we kept her either in her crate or we had gated off one of our bathrooms and for those of you who know New York to have a second bathroom is the ultimate luxury. Mm -hmm. And then to give that second bathroom up to an animal. Yeah. Like so Fifi had her own bedroom, (laughs) which was hilarious. And that was where she spent most of her time. So she really didn't interact with the dogs at all at the beginning because she, she was just in terrible shape Mm. and it, it, it took a very long time. So, you know, meanwhile, I'm recovering from this terrible injury and dealing with my own excessive amounts of pain that I was in because I was dealing with some major nerve damage. And then um, her vet put her on the same nerve medication that I was taking. Gabapentin is, it's a non-narcotic medication that works on, on pain, uh, nerve pain specifically. And Fifi was on the same one. And I was like, well, we're taking the same meds. We'll just sit here and heal together. Mm -hmm. And, and over March to I would say May, she did. She started to trust us. She started to interact a little bit more. There was a lot of limitations to that. So everything had to be on her terms. She had to come to you. You couldn't really pet her for more than a few seconds at a time. You had to be extremely careful not to kind of violate her boundaries. And we were, I had had, I had had an unexpected, my second surgery was unexpected and it was, it was quite urgent. And a friend took who's a saint took care of her for for the night that I was in the hospital after that un, unexpected surgery but we were planning on going on vacation a few weeks later and we were like well what do we do with this dog who's like basically a monster who will literally try and kill you if you deal with her wrong or look at her wrong mm-hmm. and so we at this point knew we were foster failing. And so I contacted the rescue organization and they had not put her up for adoption yet because of the veterinary limitations. Like she, so, so typically a rescue will not adopt out a dog that is in active care for a medical, an acute medical issue. They'll wait until that dog has gone through all of the vetting and is healthy and, and then ready to be placed in its forever home. Okay. So she hadn't been put up for adoption yet, but I reached out to the organization at the time and said, I, I think 
this is it. I think we're going to keep her if like, we'd like to apply to keep her if that's okay. Um, and they were like, well, you can apply. You know, what I love about this organization is it didn't matter that we had Ella Bean and this social Instagram platform. They treated us like anyone else. Like mm-hmm. we went through the very long application. We had, you know, phone conversations with them. They had phone conversations with our vets. It was a really intense process. Um, and ultimately when they we were the best interest of the dog. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And ultimately when they, they said we were approved as adopters, I said, I'm happy to, you know, take on the medical expenses if you're, you're open to adopting her now and kind of explain that we were going on vacation. And what my goal was to find a trainer that we could do a board and train with. Um, I had no expectations about obedience training, but I was hopeful that we could get her. I, I, I needed help to get her to a point where I could understand the triggers and where we could do a better job and have a professional support in helping to modify her behavior so that way she could, you know, live more socially with us and, and, and also just be happier. Like she, one thing I've learned about this dog, she doesn't want to bite. She's, she's afraid like some, she has trauma and it gets triggered and she reacts. Mm -hmm. And so we found this amazing trainer, Zen dog, who we still work with. And she's just amazing. And we, we left Fifi there for like two and a half weeks and came back and it was a game changer for us. We had not told anyone that we were keeping the dog, anyone. Like we had told no one that we had signed adoption papers, mostly because four dogs was insane. And mm-hmm. I also had this like terrible injury and had all these surgeries that were happening left and right. And, and you live in New York City. Yeah. And we live in New York. I mean, it was ridiculous, but we were, we were just totally in love with her. and we'd come so far with her and she, she was not cool with other people at the time. So I didn't want to, you know, not that she couldn't have bonded with someone else. I'm sure she could have, but it was the right move for us. We were the right home for her. And I really felt this, you know, kind of kinship with her because her progress kind of was as slow as my progress from a healing point of view. And we were kind of in it together and we were taking the same meds we were kind of going through the same stuff with doctors and the same setbacks. And I just felt really connected to her in that way. And it's been, like I said, almost a year now. And we finally in January, and I actually just posted about this to quite a bit of controversy. We decided to uh, try medication. So doggy Prozac and what that was a really hard decision for me because I'd never put an animal on, on a medication like that before. And ultimately what made me come to that decision was it's not for me. I don't care about being bitten. Like she can't rip off my hand. She's a six pound dog, Mm -hmm. but she, she herself was unhappy and fearful. And after speaking, you know, with our trainer, with our vet, what was, what became has become very clear over the last year is things will trigger her things that we don't even expect. And they will bring her back to this place where she is utterly traumatized. And then she reacts and she has no control over it. And the idea behind the medication was to relieve her of that level of anxiety and fear. So that way she could process things in a, in a healthier way. And I don't know if we'll keep her on it forever. I mean, we've tried everything, training, behavior modification, CBD oil, you name it, we have tried it. And so this was really, we had, I felt we had exhausted every option before we, we went this route. And as much progress as she had made, she'd really plateaued. And, and I think the, the biggest thing I learned about rescue from Fifi is that 
you have to make hard decisions that benefit someone else, even if you're not comfortable with them. Like it is not about me. It's about finding, helping her find a place where she's, she's happy and not anxious and living the best life she possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's been about six or seven weeks since we started the drug and it's, it is night and day. We haven't, we actually hadn't seen our trainer yet this year. Um, I wanted her to like get the medication going before we, we tried another training session and our trainer actually came over yesterday evening and she turned to me at one point, she goes, it's almost like training a normal dog. And I, I started crying because you could see Fifi like processing information the way that a normal dog would. She was starting to really understand what was being asked of her and without any anxiety. She was excited. She was playing. She was wagging her tail. It, it, it's been to see her come from where she was to where she is today. She cuddles. She shouldn't really give kisses still. That's not her thing, but she's a happy dog. And what's the best part is, is, you know, it's funny about her is Her crankiness and anger has become, it's definitely part of her personality and her online persona, Mm -hmm. but as, and as happy as she is, and as much as, you know, the medication and all the stuff we've done has worked wonders, she is still a grump. Like she will, she's, she's not a morning person. She will growl at you in the morning. (laughs) You touch her, you know, (laughs) she's a bad gal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bad gal Fifi is the hashtag we use for her. And she totally is like, she's, she has got an attitude that is a hundred pounds to her six pounds and she's an inspiration. I mean, she's, she's overcome serious trauma that human animal, like none of us should have to ever suffer the way that, that she suffered. And she's now playing with toys and, and cuddling. And, you know, I'm so proud of this dog. I, it's been, she's, she's an inspiration. And I wanted to read to you, actually, I got a, a message from someone today for all of the negative feedback Um, we got about putting her on medicine. One of the things I posted was the moral of the story is don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. And Mm -hmm. Fifi is all of us. And someone messaged me and said, this hit so close to home this week. Um, I've recently sought out help for emotional distress and the last week has been rough. Fifi's story story is inspiring. Oh, hell, that's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's just one of the incredible messages we've gotten. And and we haven't talked that much yet about how, um, how much we've, we raise a lot of, we fundraise a lot for rescue. Let's talk about it. I really want to get into that and how, cause I'm really passionate about that too. I feel like there's so much out there about social media is evil. Social media is depressing everyone. Social media is bad, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Let's talk about some of the good that you guys have done you know, with awareness, with, uh, because like going back to the puppy meal thing, I remember in 2008 going to Fashion Island, which is like one of the really popular big malls here, like a shopping mall. It's an outdoor mall. It's beautiful. It's in Newport Beach. And they had a puppy store there or a puppy. What do you call it? A pet store that sold puppies. Yeah, like a pet store. And they always had these cute little puppies. And it was mm-hmm. like I'd walk in and out of there and kind of be like like daydream about like, oh, it'd be so fun to take one of these home. And it wasn't a good time of life for me to have a dog. But I just didn't even realize there was something so wrong with that. And no, I mean, it's I not there that. anymore. They've taken it down. You know, that's gone. And I don't think this community, like Orange County is very like anti um puppy mill now but that you know 11 years ago that was just a thing that I didn't even think twice about it none of us did and I mean I certainly didn't know at the time and actually 
you know, I applaud California. California is one of the few states that has actually banned the sale of um, commercially bred pets in stores. And if, if um, pet stores are selling animals, they have to come from rescue. So yay, California. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a handful of other states and we're actually working um, with Humane Society on legislation for that to be true for New York as well. And we're, we're hopeful because California, Chicago, uh, I'm spacing on some of the other cities, but like New York doesn't have this kind of legislation yet. Like what? That's, That's so shocking. Confusing. Yeah. For the culture so, there. Exactly. So it's, it's a little confusing. Um, and to your earlier point, yeah, everyone's like social media is bad. It makes you feel bad about yourself. And I always say this, we have raised tens of thousands of dollars to support anti-puppy mill legislation, to support shelters, to support specific animals in need. We get messages not unlike the one I just shared, but we get messages all the time. Your platform inspired us. And we went to the shelter this past weekend. And here's a picture of us with our family and our new dog. You inspired me to rescue. A friend of mine was going to you know, buy a pet from a pet store. And I intervened and, and showed them your platform and your message and some of your content that you've created around this. And they didn't do it. And we've made a difference in the lives of animals. And we've made a difference in the lives of the people who have taken home animals and completed their families or added to their families, never complete, always add more dogs. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think whenever anyone says that to me about social media, I'm like, well, it depends where you look, you know, there's so much good you can do with it. And what if you, are you use following? it as a, what are you consuming? Yeah. What are you supporting? Yeah. yeah. What you choose, you can choose the best part about social media is you can choose what you engage with. And you can unfollow people, anyone who makes you feel bad about yourself, anyone who's negative, anyone who puts energy into your life that isn't good for you. You don't have to follow them and you have to be strong enough and adult enough to make those choices. And you can choose to engage with just the positivity. And for me, at least, I have my personal, you know, channel, obviously, where I follow a lot more people you know, related to work and all of that. But then, you know, on my dog's, my dog's platform, whenever I log, I'm like, it's just all lit- literally like puppies and bloggers who I'm friends with. So it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Let's shout out um, her Instagram right now. So, or your, all, I guess it's kind of all the coconut girls now. Yeah. I think we're trying to decide if we're going to actually rebrand as like a new handle that enco- encompasses all of them, but we haven't gotten there yet. But for now it's at Ella Bean, the dog and it's E-L-L-A um, and Bean like Jelly Bean and the dog. And you'll find us. So tell me a little bit of like why that, how that even came about. We talked about it offline just a second ago before the interview started, but tell us like how, where that even came from, where you got the inspiration to put that together. Yeah. So I uh, was inspired to create Ella's account because, you know, I I think it's almost five years old. And um, when Instagram was sort of rising up and all of these Instagram famous you know, bloggers and influencers were sort of coming to to be. There was like cliches of Instagram where you would see bloggers who would have macaroons or latte art. And it was all like, you know, it was the beginning of like the Instagrammable restaurant or the Instagrammable this, um, Instagrammable food. And I thought it would be really cute and funny to replace a blogger with a white fluffy dog. And it <laughs> turns out that that worked. And I really thought that that's what it was. I just like thought it was fun. I had like a little personal goal of like, I'm going to get 5,000 followers. And like, that was all I like really didn't think about it beyond that was not something I I took seriously. 
And what I learned about myself is a, there's, I can't do anything without taking it seriously because it ended up becoming very serious. (laughs) And B, that the moment I had 5,000 followers, 10,000 followers, and it happened very quickly because Instagram five years ago was a very different place than it is today. I learned that I could talk about where Ella came from in addition to all of the cute, fun fashion stuff, help raise awareness. And that was a, a total light bulb moment for me. I had no clue that I could use this platform in this, in this really positive way. And simultaneously, with the work that I did at ShopStyle, I was working on the retailer side of the ShopStyle business, on the con- consumer side. If you go to shopstyle.com, that's the consumer side of the business. But we were launch like our, our influencer business, that side of the business was growing rapidly. And I found that the more followers Ella got, the more I would like stick my nose in and be like, you know, if someone asked me to do that with my platform, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable. Or I would love if we did X, Y, Z, if someone gave me that opportunity for my platform. And I was able to kind of come to it with that lens of having a social platform. Mm -hmm. And over time, it ended up pivoting my entire career. And I got the opportunity to lead that influencer business And so that's what I've been doing for now the past two and a half years. Uh, So ultimately, I would say Ella not only changed my life and introduced me to this world of giving and raising awareness and fundraising and helping animals find homes, but also completely changed the path of my career. So when I say Ella changed my life, it is in every aspect. I wouldn't know you if I hadn't, you know changed my career and moved in this direction. So, so many of my real life friends are, are because of ultimately you can all trace it back to, to this, to Ella Bean. Well, and to your selflessness of being willing to take someone else on, take, you know, take this little dog and love her and give her a better life. So, you know, it's, it's funny whenever people frame it like that to me, to me, I always feel so shy about it, but I'm like, well, what else would you do if you're presented with this um, animal who needs you? Like, what what other choice is there? But I, I do, yes, I, I intellectually understand there's a lot to take on. And, and as I said at the beginning of this, I have personally chosen to take on three dogs that were difficult and the last one being the most difficult. There are so many easy, fun-loving dogs who need homes. So I would love to talk about that. Let's segue into that and talk about how if if there's like a mom that's listening to this thinking like, I've been thinking about getting a dog for my family, but you know, the, the spectrum is really hard to figure out like where, where can I safely land in a place where it'll be good for my kids? It'll be good for my family or, you know, cause obviously like a Fifi would not be good for my family with three little girls, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure your girls would think she's the cutest thing ever, which is the thing that scares me the most about her. And and also one of the reasons we wanted to, to kind of be serious about her behavior modification. Uh, Anyway, I I think that the, if I was a mom and I had kids and I wanted to rescue a dog, I would start with my local shelter. If there wasn't any animals there that felt like they were right for me and my family, that's no big deal. That's the beauty of social media. So, you know, get on social media, follow, there's around any urban area, you're always going to find a ton of rescue organizations that are doing uh, great work. Make sure that they're pulling from um, shelters. Uh, In New York, a lot of shelters will bring in dogs from California because California has a plethora of tiny dogs that need homes and New Yorkers want tiny dogs. So they'll, Mm. you know, like the organization I got Fifi from, they'll bring dogs from California 
Um, okay. But Fifi actually came from animal animal care centers of New York, which is the public shelter. That's where Social Tees got her. So don't rule anywhere out. They get puppies all the time. Do some just do some research and find out who your local rescue groups are and your local shelters are. New York has a ton. Most urban areas have at least a handful. So wherever your closest urban area is, it's going to be easier for you to find. And, and to drill a little deeper on that, a lot of families want a non-shedding dog. And that's one of the things I hear the most. And it's the number one reason I hear people are like, I can't rescue because I want a non-shedding dog. The only rescue I have that sheds is coconut. And it's because she's a short-haired chihuahua. Fifi and Ella do not shed. You can absolutely rescue Yorkies, poodle mixes, Yorkie mixes, any kind of mix. And you can you can get these dogs that simply just don't shed. You just have to be open to, to looking for it and waiting. If you want a puppy, if you want a specific you know, breed, if you're willing to be patient, you can totally find that. So help us edu- like educate me on like what, is that something you call the shelter and say, this is what I'm looking for? Do you kind of just watch for it? Is it okay to ask questions when you go to, you know what I mean? Like, and what questions yeah. should you be asking? I think asking questions is always a wonderful thing. And I think that it's, it's hard because if you're someone who works in a shelter and you're maybe a little jaded and, you know, you've seen a lot of animal abuse, you know, sometimes I know even in the work that I do, I'm like, another person wants a doodle. And like, I love doodles. They're gorgeous. And Mm -hmm. there's actually a great, just to say, there's a great doodle rescue group on Facebook. If you're interested in rescuing a doodle, but there are, one of the interesting things is they've become so popular that they're in shelters and rescue organizations everywhere because people often will either buy or get dogs from wherever and then realize this is like a real living thing and it's work yes. and I, I can't. And so anything you want and need, you can find. It's just about patience. So I think, yes, you can call and say you have preferences, but I think the best thing to do is go to all of your local rescue organizations and become a pre-approved adopter. So that way, when a dog comes up that you're interested in, you're like, I am approved to adopt. And you can raise your hand and say, I'm pre-approved. I'd like to apply for this dog. And you do that online or you do it at the local shelter or how? Everyone, so every organization is different. Typically shelters that actually have dogs in the shelter, um, you do it on site. And typically rescue organizations that function through foster, which uh, Social Tees is one of those. They don't, they have a small facility, but most of the dogs, they'll take in dogs. Those dogs go to fosters and then the fosters and Social Tees help place these dogs in forever homes with people who are looking for them. It's really, I mean, very rooted in social media. So I think that there's, it depends on the specific organization. So it's always good to call or email and reach out and and find out how you can become an approved adopter and just have that. If you don't have kids, fostering is a great way to get involved with a rescue organization so that you can build a relationship with them and test out having a dog, not have a full-time dog, mm-hmm. um, have a dog for a few weeks and then not have a dog if you're you know, someone who travels a lot. But if Why you, do you say if you, if you don't have kids? Is that so the kids don't get attached or? I Well, I said that and I'm realizing, you know, I don't actually, I think that if you have kids and you want to foster, I think it's just about being really clear and upfront about that with the rescue organization because not not every dog has been tested around kids before they may get to you um, in terms of safety, but that doesn't mean that they're not safe. So as long as you're upfront with the, the organization that you're working with and you're like, I have kids and I just want to make sure that like this dog is a fit. You know, I don't have experience with this because I don't have kids, but I'm sh- absolutely sure most res- rescue organizations would work with you because it's also a bonus if, if 
if you're not going to keep the dog to be able to advertise the dog and say, this dog is great with kids, this dog would be a great family pet. It's going to help that dog find a home that much sooner. But even if you can't foster just volunteering at your local shelters, helping, you know, donating money or donating a lot of shelters and foster, uh, rescue organizations have Amazon wish lists. getting involved in any capacity and showing that you're interested in helping form a relationship between yourself and that organization um, will make it that much easier to get yourself approved as an adopter and then also make it easier when you are ready to pull the trigger and you find the perfect dog. Okay, that's super helpful. So if so let's go back into the scenario though like say I'm a mom and I'm like this is the type of dog that I want and we make our wish list and then we're kind of watching and then you go to meet the dog like what are some of the things that you think like that you wish you maybe not even that you wish you would have known but that you would advise a good friend like when you go you know maybe pay attention to this or feel this out or ask about that like what are some of the things that people maybe wouldn't even think of if it's their first so time rescue. This is where I think that actually the rescue organizations and shelters are awesome is that they're going to help you. Like generally speaking, they're going to ask you about yourself and your life mm-hmm. and how your life works. And they're going to point you in the direction of like, they, these are the dogs that we feel would be a good fit for you. And okay. here are the reasons why. And if a rescue organization is not providing that kind of guidance, I would be wary of them. Mm. I think that, you know, it's unfortunately not all rescues are perfect either. Mm-hmm. And it's such a gray area, but I think a good rescue organization is looking for the best homes for those individuals. And that's to come back to your earlier point, why that application process for Fifi was so long is because they cared so deeply about making sure that their animals are in the right homes. And that's what you should be looking for. These people, if the people should care and they're going to then help guide you toward an animal that's right for you. Um, in terms of things to look out for and ask about, you know, always ask if the animal has had a history, has any history of aggression that you're aware of. That should always be asked. It's not a deal breaker for all people. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I took that on, but it's something you do need to know if you're getting, it's, it's helpful to know if you're getting into that, that you're getting into it um, to, to prepare. Most all rescue organizations and shelters will make sure that the dog is, you know, up to date on any shots, ask what's included in the rescue. Often some organizations will include like come back for a dental. Mm -hmm. If the dog is too young to be spayed or neutered, they'll, you know, help arrange that for you at a later date. You know, things like that are really, really important to ask about. But I, I think the number one question is, is this the right dog for me in my lifestyle? Is this dog, does this dog need a lot of exercise? Can I meet his exercise needs? Does this dog fit into my home life in terms of size? Do I travel a lot? And where's the dog going to go when I'm traveling? Just, I mean, it's a lot of the same questions that you would ask if you were buying a dog from a breeder, frankly. It's, it's if you're going to bring a life into your home, are you equipped to take care of it and all right. of that, what goes with it? Okay. So let's talk about breeders too for a second. Cause I know that this is like good, better, best. And obviously like best case scenario is every dog out there that is in a shelter is getting adopted. But I know you and I talked one time about how you said it's maybe not the best fit for every single family. So if yeah. people are going the breeder route, like how can they be careful about making sure they're supporting really good breeders? Like I know you talked a little bit about that in the beginning yeah. and you know, so much of this is new to me and so many people are going to listen to this and, and probably feel kind of bad, like, Oh, we didn't rescue our dog. Like I, 
before you and I ever had a conversation about any of this, we bought Winnie from a really reputable breeder. And that breeder has contacted me many times. How's she doing? Send me a picture, you know? So first of all, I just want to say, like, I don't, I don't think that anyone should feel bad about the decisions that they've made in the past. I think that you can't, you know, we cannot change the past. All we can do is know what we know now and make different decisions in the future and getting a dog from a breeder like you got Winnie from, I don't think is anything to have any shame around. I think that if you're going to buy a dog, that's the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. The first thing to know is no, no, no reputable breeder will ever sell their pets through a pet store. It just does not happen. Like you cannot get a not a puppy from a purebred puppy from a quote unquote breeder at a pet store. It doesn't exist. They are puppy mills. Uh-huh. Like 99.99%. I'm going to leave a little margin of error. because you know. <laughs> And then, you know, if your local pet store is advertising that they're selling rescues, you know, do your due diligence and make sure, find out where the dogs are coming from. No reputable breeder will sell a dog online. You should not be able to, do- to order a dog like a pair of shoes. Okay. It should be mutual. You should be able to come. You should have to meet the breeder in person, never meet them like halfway between like a lot of breeders will be like, Oh, like meet me on this, you know, rest stop on this highway. And like, we'll just give you the dog and give us money. That's, Mm. that's shady. And that's actually a hallmark of, of puppy mills or backyard breeders, which are like the sort of people who are doing one-off breeding to make profit, but are still kind of shady. And, and there's a lot of I just wouldn't go that route. There's okay. there's a lot of risk there. So those are the two main things. If you take away nothing else, no pet stores and no ordering your dog online. Okay. No, that's, that's really helpful. Somebody said to me once too, maybe it was even you, that if there's something with like a ton of pictures of like puppies, but there's no pictures of the mom or dad or where they yep. live, then that's kind of also a telltale sign that it's probably so shady like- stuff going on in the background. Exactly. So let's say you do make it to a breeder's house and, you know, everything looks on the up and up, but it's just all puppies and there's no adults. That's a red flag. There should, a good breeder should always have a few adults hanging around. You should be able to meet the mom and see where the dogs live and where they sleep. You might not always be able to meet the dad because especially when you get into like really serious show breeding and people who are very serious about bloodlines, they will, they'll, there's a lot of ways that they will breed their dogs that don't include the father being on site. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but you want to always be able to meet the mother. Okay. I generally think a waiting list is a good thing. Mm. If someone, because breeders shouldn't have litters that often, really good ones. Like, so, you know, I have a friend who just got a dog and was on a year and a half wait list. And I was like, that's a good thing. I love this. So I think that those are good signs. It's not a deal breaker if the other criteria are met, but I think it's a great thing. And, and it's, it's okay to wait. You know, it's, it's a big deal to bring an an animal into your home. How often is like somewhat healthy? Do you think that, you know, that they would be saying like, this is about how often a year our dog is having? I mean, it's so dependent on how many moms they have. They probably like, I don't, you know, there's probably people who are wonderful who have 10 or 15 moms on site who are like wonderful, respectful animal lovers who are incredible people. So I don't really want to give a number. I think, you know, use your gut instinct and be honest. Like, does this person seem like they're in it for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. Do they love animals? Do they love dogs? Do they love this dog? How do they interact with the dogs when you meet them? 
when, when we got my very first childhood dog, one of the things I remember is my father and I drove out to this like amazing farm where this woman was breeding these dogs and we met her and I fell in love with this puppy and we decided to take the puppy and she's like, okay, like I need to get him to the vet today to like get this X round of shots before he can come home. And then I want to like bathe him and get him ready for you. And then I'm going to drive him and and bring him to you. And I remember that really clearly because even at the time I was like, wow, this is service. Like she really cared about where the dog was going. And I think that if I would say a third thing, so three things to remember, no pet stores, no shopping online. and, And does this person really care about their animals? Do you feel good about it? Do you feel good about giving them money? Don't ever buy a dog because you feel bad because this person is bad, this situation is bad, and I want to get this cute little puppy out of it, because you are then, it's so hard, I know, to walk away, but you're feeding into the problem. Um, You're funding the problem. So, you know, you have to use your intellect, not your heart, and know, like, okay, I'm, I'm giving my money to a person I can get behind. Okay, that's really, really helpful. What else can people do as far as like maybe they're not in a position right now to take on a dog or their family isn't looking for one, but they they want to be help with the solution? Um, I think that spreading the message about, you know, not buying from pet stores is one of the big things. I love when I get messages from people saying none of my friends and family knew this about pet stores. And we always used to go in and like play with the dogs on the weekends at the mall. And now we don't anymore. You know, so spread the word tell everyone, you know, don't buy from a pet store. Don't order a pet online. It's bad. That's the number one thing you can do. And it doesn't cost any money and it doesn't, you know, you don't have to do anything more than just talk to your friends. So you guys do this though, in a way that isn't shaming, because I remember when we bought, we, you know, bought Winnie from a breeder and brought her home. I got, I was flooded with angry messages from angry people who were like, this is so wrong. This is so bad. There's so many dogs that need to be adopted. What are you thinking? And I was kind of like, oh, I didn't know this was like such a hot button. I mean, yeah. until I did that and made a public display of it, I just didn't even realize there were so many people that would be angry about that. How can you do that in a way that isn't like shaming people, like like in a positive way of like, hey, let's get better. This is how we can. Yeah. I mean, I think it's exactly that. It's, I think the question, it's, it's posing it as a question, right? Did you know where these dogs come from? I, d- I didn't know this before and now I do and I'm sharing it with you because I want to be part of the solution is a lot different than there's a million dogs that need homes and I can't believe you bought a dog. I mean, I don't think that the latter is helpful at all. Mm-hmm. I think it is so much better to say, I didn't know this then and I learned this and here's how it affected the, cha- the choices that I make I wanted to share that with you because I know that you wouldn't want to contribute to any animal cruelty. I think that's a a much better way to talk about it. Okay. I love that. That's really helpful. And I think that like, look, you know, this is, that's internet, the internet. We, I have an inbox full of messages about my dog being on Prozac that are a little, you know, (laughs) off base and, and sort of neglect to take into account the amount of time and effort and other things we've done. You know, we didn't just, it wasn't a a decision taken lightly. Because people don't, they can't see the full picture. They don't know what's happening behind the scenes and all of everything that you've tried and all the things you guys have been through in the best effort to give this dog the happiest life. And I think that that's, that's the thing you also always have to remember is you don't know where someone is coming from and what their experience is. Mm-hmm. And if someone who had the experience of growing up in their family only bought dogs from pet stores, like mine only bought dogs from these like beautiful, wonderful breeders. And I didn't even know this world existed. 
you know, you're sharing something that's probably hard for them to take. And I think that being empathetic to that, that this is like, it's hard information to take, right? Like I walk by pet stores still and yes, like I'm horrified, but I see those puppies and I love dogs. I love animals. It pulls my heartstrings. I understand how hard it is to walk away and always, you know, kind of approaching people with that empathy. I did, you know, I think is the, the way I try and approach it. Okay. I think that's something that, yeah, everyone can think about, okay, how can we frame this so that it's a softer approach? So it's a kinder approach so that it's doing more good. Yeah. You always want it to come from a positive place. Yeah. So that's, I love that. Okay. What do you think, what's at risk if we don't do something about this? What do you think, like, what's the thing that people who are really passionate about rescue and about this topic like what are you guys most worried about I think that to be a realist there's no end game here there's no world that shelter and rescue doesn't exist right like there's just always going to be a need for rehoming dogs or you know animals and I think so I, I don't think that it's realistic to say I don't want shelters to exist or rescue to exist I want every dog to you know come from a wonderful place and no one to be abusing dogs I think that the the thing that's at risk is I actually like to think about it on a micro level of for every dog that you see in a pet store, a mother behind that dog that lives in a cage that has never been pet or played with or gotten proper medical care. And that dog is probably in physical pain. And every dollar that you give to that industry contributes to keeping that animal in pain. And then when you take it away from that one dog and you zoom out and you look at that at scale, to me, that's the thing I'm most passionate about is like to make that industry as small as possible to remove the demand is the best thing we can possibly do. And I'm a realist. I understand that there will always be some demand, but we could shrink this industry by a lot. We could help a lot of dogs have better lives. We could prevent a lot of dogs from being born. So that way other dogs who are already in shelters can get opportunities to be rescued. And, and I think that that's, that's what's at risk is trying to always remember, like, there is a mom in a cage behind that puppy. That's really, that's perspective, perspective yeah. that, like I said, 10, 11 years ago, didn't even cross my mind when I walked by a pet store. But on, I guess, looking at the bright side, too, those pet stores aren't here anymore. So in where I live in Southern California. So yeah. We're at least making progress in some places. Things are getting better. I feel like the climate around, even though I feel like sometimes it can be a little hostile for the most part, I feel like people are getting better. They're learning. They're educating themselves. They're, and even just doing this podcast, I feel like, is going to help a lot of people to just understand this world so much better and just pause and think and make a more thoughtful choice about whatever is best for their family. Yep. I don't think shaming helps anyone and it certainly doesn't help the situation. I think just being mindful and keeping in mind, I think, you know, with most things, like who are you giving your money to and do you feel good about that? And if, if you're giving them profit and they're doing something with it that doesn't align with your beliefs, are you okay with that? And, and I'm willing to bet that most people who love animals would not be okay with knowing where the money goes for those animals who are in pet stores or sold online. I, I would I would be willing to bet my money on that. So I think keeping that in mind and making your decisions from that place is 
is a really important thing. And I think other ways quickly that I would love to share for people to get involved, um, aside from getting involved with your local shelters you, and donating money to them and things to them, check out if they have an Amazon wish list. The Humane Society of the United States, who I work with, does a ton of work around, like I mentioned, legislation around stopping puppy mills and making it illegal to sell pets in pet stores. They've had great success um, in California or working on New York. So another thing you can do that doesn't cost you any money is writing to your local representatives and asking them to help make this illegal and help making to make sure that it's not legal where you live to have dogs sold in pet stores. Um, that's another thing you can do that doesn't cost any money. Is that like an email? Is is an email sufficient? Is that like a letter? What do you think? I use uh, this tool called ResistBot and it allows you to like, it, it identifies who all of your local and state representatives are and then you can send them whatever content you'd like to send them and it, it will fax it to them. And I actually have gotten fax or email, fax and email just depends on the actual office that you're sending it to. And I actually use it, a lot of people use it for political reasons, but I actually use it for a lot of work that I do around puppy mills to like stay in these people's faces. And I've gotten, you know, actual handwritten, um, not handwritten, but like typed, printed actual physical letters back from them thanking me for writing to them and stating their position and what they're what they're willing to do to help or not. And so that's another thing you can do is you know letting elected officials know that you're not okay with with it being legal to sell animals from pet stores. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. That's really cool. I was not aware of that resource, but that's yeah. a really that's neat. Okay, what is your greatest hope, Hillary, in this whole mission and what you guys, the passion that you have for rescuing and for educating people. Dream world. There's no animals that need rescuing or abusing realistic world. I hope that someone hears this podcast and makes a decision to rescue a pet or at the very least not purchase a pet from a pet store or online. I think that every single person making a different decision counts. And I am so excited if you do decide to rescue a pet after listening to this podcast or seeing Alabine's account online, please DM us pictures or email us pictures. I, I, it brings me so much joy. I love that so much. And I just, I love you and the dogs so much. I love the little bean clad. They're just <laughs> so special to me. So tell me where, or tell us where people can follow you guys and keep up with you and watch Ella and Coconut and Fifi. We're primarily on Instagram at Ella Bean the dog, Ella, and then Bean like jelly bean and the dog, and then you'll find us. Um, I, there's also, a, there is a blog that I don't really keep up with enough with the same name, but we're primarily on Instagram and we'd love to meet you. So awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to oh, be here with you, me Corinne. today and just make us, you know, a little more educated and give us this enlightenment and understanding and and something that's really really important and affects so many people and so many families thank you so much for the opportunity thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages make sure you follow us on instagram at mint arrow subscribe to our apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us and to get show notes go to mintarrow.com slash podcast and you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode <laughs>